Section 162 of Chesterfield's Letters to His Son Read for LibriVox.org into the public domain. Letter 194 London, February 1st, 1754 My dear friend, I received yesterday yours of the twelfth from Munich, in consequence of which I direct this to you there, though I directed my three last to Berlin, where I suppose you will find them at your arrival. Since you are not only domesticated, but niche at Munich, you are much in the right to stay there. It is not by seeing places that one knows them, but by familiar and daily conversations with the people of fashion. I would not care to be in the place of that prodigy of beauty, whom you are to drive dans la coste de Trinot, and I am apt to think you are much more likely to break her bones than she is, though ever so cruel, to break your heart. Nay, I am not sure but that, according to all the rules of gallantry, you are obliged to overturn her on purpose, in the first place, for the chance of seeing her backside, in the next, for the sake of the contrition and concern which it would give you an opportunity of showing, and lastly, upon account of all the gentilesse and epigramme which it would naturally suggest. Voltaire has made several stanzas upon an accident of that kind, which happened to a lady of his acquaintance. There is a great deal of wit in them, rather too much, for according to the taste of those times, they are full of what the Italians call concetti spiritosissimi, the Spaniards agudeze, and we affectation and quaintness. I hope you have endeavored to suit your traineau to the character of the fair one whom it is to contain. If she is of an irascible, impetuous disposition, as fine women can sometimes be, you will doubtless place her in the body of a lion, a tiger, a dragon, or some tremendous beast of prey and fury. If she is a sublime and stately beauty, which I would think more probable, for unquestionably she is whole gull-born, you will, I suppose, provide a magnificent swan or proud peacock for her reception. But if she is all tenderness and softness, you have, to be sure, taken care amorous doves and wanton sparrows should seem to flutter around her. Proper mottoes, I take it for granted, that you have eventually prepared. But if not, you may find a great many ready-made ones in Les Entretiens d'Ariste et du Genie, sur les Divises, written by Père Bonheur, and worth your reading at any time. I will not say to you upon this occasion, like the father in Ovid, parce pure stimulus et fortius utere loris. On the contrary, drive on briskly. It is not the chariot of the sun that you drive, but you carry the sun in your chariot. Consequently, the faster it goes, the less it will be likely to scorch or consume. This is Spanish enough, I am sure. If this finds you still at Munich, pray make many compliments from me to Mr. Burrish, to whom I am very much obliged for all his kindness to you. It is true that while I had power I endeavored to serve him, but it is as true, too, that I served many others more, who have neither returned nor remembered those services. I have been very ill this last fortnight of your old Carnolian complaint, the arthritis vaga. Luckily it did not fall upon my breast, but seized on my right arm. There it fixed its seat of empire. But as in all tyrannical governments, the remotest parts felt their share of its severity. Last post I was not able to hold a pen long enough to write to you, and therefore desired Mr. Grevenkop to do it for me. But that letter was directed to Berlin. My pain is now much abated, though I have still some fine remains of it in my shoulder, where I fear it will tease me a great while. I must be careful to take Horace's advice, and consider well, quid valiant humeri, quid fere recusant. 
Lady Chesterfield bids me make you her compliments, and assure you that the music will be much more welcome to her with you than without you. In some of my last letters, which were directed, and will, I suppose, wait for you at Berlin, I complimented you, and with justice, upon your great improvement of late in the epistolary way, both with regard to the style and the turn of your letters. Your four or five last to me have been very good ones, and one that you wrote to Mr. Hart, upon the new year, was so a pretty one, and he was so much and so justly pleased with it, that he sent it me from Windsor the instant he had read it. This talent, and a most necessary one it is in the course of life, is to be acquired by resolving and taking pains to acquire it, and indeed so is every talent except poetry, which is undoubtedly a gift. Think, therefore, night and day, of the turn, the purity, the correctness, the perspicuity, and the elegance of whatever you speak or write. Take my word for it, your labor will not be in vain, but greatly rewarded by the harvest of praise and success which it will bring you. Delicacy of turn and elegance of style are ornaments as necessary to common sense as attentions, address, and fashionable manners are to common civility. Both may subsist without them, but then without being of the least use to the owner. The figure of a man is exactly the same in dirty rags or in the finest and best chosen clothes, but in which of the two he is the most likely to please and to be received in good company, I leave it to you to determine." Both my arm and my paper hint to me to bid you good night. End of section 162. Read by Professor Heather and By. For more free audiobooks or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org.